Blog Talk Radio. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Well, let's say this Twinkie represents the normal amount of psychokinetic energy in the New York area. According to this morning's sample, it would be a Twinkie 35 feet long, weighing approximately 600 pounds. <coughs> That's a big Twinkie. One of the problems, not specifically on this issue, just in general, that, uh, that um, uh, let's put it this way, money trumps um, peace sometimes. <laughs> in other words, commercial interests are very powerful interests throughout the world. And part of the issue in convincing people to put sanctions on a specific country is to convince them that it's in the world's interest that they forego their own financial interests. It's time for the most entertaining, informational, and educational show on Talk Radio 49. It's Behind the Curtain with your host, Brad Hicks and Lisa O'Brien. facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? And good evening here, Monday, March 26, 2018. We're happy to have you wherever time may find you, whether you're listening live and or if you're listening to the podcast version of this show after it's finished or the YouTube version, we welcome you to Behind the Curtain. I am your host, Brad Hicks. As always, we will be joined shortly by the co-host of the show, Lisa O'Brien. Our special guest tonight is Aline Pistanio. She is an author, occultist, and a paranormalist. Aline is recognized as one of the foremost authorities in the supernatural and occult and in the field of the paranormal research. She is also an expert in folklore, legends, and the haunted history of her hometown of New Orleans, she is also the author of Haunting Tales of Old New Orleans, Volumes 1, History, Legends, and Lore. That is copyright 2014 of Amazon Publishing Platform. Risk, Incidental, Supernatural Dangers of Paranormal Exploration, copyright 2014, again, Amazon Publishing Platform. And Purloined Stories and Early Tales of Old New Orleans. That's copyright 2013, Creole Moon Publications. Aline's work in the occult and paranormal fields is the natural result of a lifetime of exposure to the supernatural and unexplained. A survivor of supernatural attacks and demonic hauntings, Aline is especially focused on raising awareness in the paranormal community about the supernatural dangers inherent in the field of paranormal exploration. As an expert in the paranormal field, Aline has appeared in some of the most popular paranormal television series, including Sci-Fi's Ghost Hunters, the History Channel's Haunted History, and Paranormal Network's Haunts. 
She is regularly sought out as a consultant for numerous television and online productions, and she is the creator and co-host of the popular radio talk show Supernatural Substation, which airs Friday nights, 9 Central, 10 Eastern, on the United Public Radio Network. You can also, I believe, catch that on YouTube as well. But before we go to our guest, we're going to bring on our co-host. If I click this button right here, and Lisa, are you with us? Yes, I am, Brad. How are you? I am catching my breath after that wonderful and uh, long biography. But that's what we try to do here on Behind the Curtain is bring the guests that know what they're talking about. Now, Lisa, I interviewed Aline uh, several, several years ago when we had Behind the Curtain. Um, I think it was actually, I take you know, I say two years ago, but According to Facebook memories, it's been at least four years. I know that next yes. week's guest, uh, Linda Howell of Haunted Little Rock, uh, was actually on the show. She was scheduled tonight. We had a mix-up in scheduling. We're bringing her on next Monday night. But, you know, she was a four years ago around this time period. So it's um, it's crazy how time flies away from, from you when you're doing what you do. But. Uh, yeah. If anybody didn't catch the show before, we had Elaine Pistanio on, and we talked about the dangers of the supernatural, and we're going to kind of go back into that now. She's, you know, a lot of her works, Lisa, are featured, uh, you know, with the works of paranormal expert Brad Steiger in his books. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there's a, there's a whole list of things that she's been involved with, and uh, a very interesting guest four years ago, and I can guarantee you with a lot more experience uh, from than she had four years ago and more stories to tell, it's going to be interesting. So uh, I can't wait to actually bring her on. So I guess we can get right to that. Uh, Without further delay. You, uh, well, both of you guys are from, from New Orleans, so I'm jealous, but it is what it is. <laughs> we were. In fact, uh, we were chatting prior to the uh, the show coming on. Well, I know that you said you had read her, you were reading one of her books, the, uh, I believe it was Rift. the actual, the, the danger of the supernatural, Rift. correct? Yeah, Risk Incidental, correct. The Risk I Incidental. I have not read book. that yet, and uh, that's a personal choice of mine, because I don't want to know the risk involved, because I'm already scared to death anyway. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> So I try to stay on my side of town, you know what I'm saying, as far as getting involved in that. But, Lisa, let's go ahead and bring Miss Celine on. I think I clicked Miss Celine, are you with us? Yes, I am. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm relearning this whole system. Uh, Michael Carnahan usually produces the show, but he is uh, he's actually involved in another show tomorrow night with, with Miss Lisa, so it is me. So I'm sorry if I pushed the wrong buttons. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> well, I was, I was telling them, you know, I, I had you on behind the curtain, uh, I guess it was three or four years ago, and we talked about the dangers of the supernatural, and, and you gave some really good insight, and I can only imagine in that time span that you've added to that. So I was, you know, letting our listeners know, as, as you've heard, that you're not going to want to miss this, and, and, and we do offer a podcast version of this show. As soon as it goes off the air, it's still available on that link and then I also transcribe everything over to video form 
for YouTube, and you can search that on Behind the Curtain as well. So if you're listening in, we appreciate the, the live listen, but if you catch the show in podcast form, again, we appreciate that, and we try to offer several outlets. I know that we're on iTunes and Google. Uh, I don't know how Google works, but um, we're on that. <laughs> it's magic. You're not so I was. I, I don't was, know how it works either. <laughs> I don't either. I just know that, that that you can type in behind the curtain and it shows up, and mm. it's pretty amazing. But uh, yeah, now you you've written several books <laughs> now, and uh, the one that that uh, I know Lisa's been reading is the Risk uh, Incidentals: The Dangers of mm-hmm. the Paranormal. And um, so, Lisa, I'm gonna go ahead and let you kind of lead off since you've kind of familiarized yourself with the, the book and. Uh, uh, go ahead and let you take over. All right. Well, I, I haven't had a time to finish the book. I've tried, but I haven't had as much time on my hands these last couple of weeks. But, uh, no, I I have um, – a lot of the things that you've, you've said are common sense mm-hmm. that maybe yeah. people don't think of because they're so enamored with the paranormal and uh, right. mystical like, and – Etc. Um, and I also thought it was a very interesting take on the house in Amityville. Oh, mm-hmm. That the yeah. Lutzes were involved in in something that, or in you know transcendental meditation, and that they weren't really qualified or properly trained to do mm-hmm. to prevent opening themselves up as as something. Which is an interesting uh, an interesting theory. I've read a mm-hmm. lot of different theories because that was it's one of the first that I read as a an adolescent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that was very interesting, and I've read all the debunking and. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot <laughs> has come out. A lot more has come out um, just in the past several years about it, um, and. You know, you have to look at it. I, I've always, I look at everything paranormal through the, the eyes of an occultist because that explains the supernatural, basically. The, the occultist will know how the supernatural is going to react, basically, when it encounters or living people, researches, et cetera, encounter the supernatural. I mean, it's a, it's a sort of a, you know, the phrase, the paranormal is used, but paranormal right. experiences happen every day. I mean, uh and they're not always ghostly and, and, you know, the result of the supernatural. But in the literature that came out after Amityville, um, you know, became the middle of the zeitgeist, especially the uh, the stepson um, coming out. But even without that, there was evidence. Raymond Buckland, he had a shop that was on Long Island, and uh, George Lutz was a regular patron even before they bought the house. Um, right. And just looking at the things that happen um, from an occult perspective, it follows a pattern. I suspect, uh, my suspicions are that, that they knew the murders. Everybody knew the murders had taken place. And we even know people who will purchase places because they're notorious. Um, mm-hmm. So it's possible sources, whatever, who have said that they were very interested in all the EST and New Age uh, Stuff. And transcendental meditation uh, is one of the most dangerous. You you can either master it and become a mage, 
or you can lose your mind. And more right. people lose their minds and their lives and everything else um, by, you know, doing things, going off half-cocked and not knowing uh, what to do. Now, they, the, the boy and a couple of the other kids, um, I don't think the daughter has spoken out, but particularly Chris, I think his name is, he, they levitated mm-hmm. in the house, and I think he actually witnessed it. But even if he's, te- if he's not telling the truth, Kathy talked about it. Kathy Lutz talked about it after, you know, during the whole thing after they had left the house and, you know, the big right. thing exploded. Um, that they were, they were proud of, you know, being able to TM and meditate and levitate. Of course, right. they weren't the ones levitating them, <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> and if you're in and a they, notorious spot. And they did claim that something followed them wherever they went. I wouldn't went. be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. And that, but that would explain it. Mm-hmm. That, that would if, explain it, that they were the channel. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's almost like um, they come in, there's some, you know, there's there's this uh, supernatural um, atmosphere in a house already, and then basically it's like them when they move because they give me what I want. They give mm-hmm. me energy. They're willing to sit there and vacate their bodies in meditation. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if, you know, and now they're dead. All of them. I mean, Ronnie, the one that went to jail is dead, and both Kathy and George died, you know. So, oh. um, yeah, they're dead. That's why they died. Okay. Well, Colleen, I wanted yeah. to, Go ahead. I wanted to ask you, you know, you're talking about the, the dangers of the, the paranormal and and people getting involved and in, in look, you know, in researching ghosts and, and, and the paranormal and investigating these places. Do you attribute any of the kind of carelessness or the uh, lack of urgency for precaution and safety measures due to some of these movies? Like, okay, the first Amityville was kind of a, a whatever, but then you have Amityville Dollhouse and kind of makes a mockery of the original story, kind of like The Conjuring and Annabelle and that. Do you attribute mm-hmm. any of the of Hollywood's, um, you know, shine on some of these and kind of as, you know, taken away from people's uh, inherent safety precautions because they view this as just kind of a game? I, I think not only movies, but to a greater extent, it is, television and the uh, advent of the reality shows. And really the benchmark for that was Ghost Hunters on Sci-Fi. Now they were preceded by, if you remember, MTV's Fear, which was actually a much better um, show. You know, it was the first ones where they had the cameras, you know, the point of view cameras on them and everything, and they'd go through the scary places and the scariest places on Earth. And then Ghost Hunters hit, and that was, boom, that was the, the... you know, the second shoe to drop. Like the first one, the first blush of the paranormal was during the time when Ed and Lorraine Warren were active, when Hans Holzer, Brad Steiger, Barry Taft, and all of those people, John Zappas, that was like the first blush. And it did sort of take a, like a left turn into new age and more EFT and kinetic energy. And then eventually it turned, you know, it came around again, it was ghost hunters who you know, basically hit hit the gold right there. And they, the people that emulate them, want to model themselves off of television. The problem I have with it is not only does it, it teaches 
bad science or this sort of quasi-science approach to it. And it also teaches bad activity, bad things to be doing. I mean, bad for you if you're mimicking these guys. You know, um, you got a 60-minute show, 40 minutes of that is maybe show, and 20 minutes is commercial, right? So they've got to fill this every week, every week. And it's amazing that Ghost Hunters lasted as long as it did um, because, frankly, a lot of it was staged and just total fakery. Mm-hmm. Um, ghost Adventures. They they're the ones who started with the provoking and right. know, that was that is so that is just so dangerous to do. But so many people model themselves off of television. <clears throat> they don't read apparently past any of the reality show, you know, books or whoever's, you know, whatever star is putting out a book or whatever. They don't go past that. And, you know, the point I make is, you know, when we, we talk about it when we you know, give presentations and lectures is that, first of all, how do you hunt something if you're a skeptic or how do you investigate something you, A, don't believe in, but B, how are you going to know what you're dealing with if you don't have some kind of a background in the reality of the supernatural, in, like, when you encounter it, how does it react? And the only way to know that is through occultism, and studies in the occult, and the early the early work done by people like Harry Price, Blavatsky, uh, even Crowley, you know, that encountered these things and then just wrote it all down and said, "This is what they do," you know, "This is this is how they will affect you." But a lot of people think that they're going to put on a pair of jeans and a black T-shirt and go in the cemetery, which, if you read in the book. And that's one of the worst places, Correct. absolutely. But as soon as they start a, a team, they go to a cemetery. And so why do they go? Because it's free, it's there, and there's dead people. <laughs> you know, there's dead people mm-hmm. there. But um, I posit this in the book as well. I mean, how do they know? They go on a Sunday after church or whatever, and they all show up with their gizmos and everything. But possibly the night before, a serious practice, of Luciferian or black magic has just completed a ritual that required him to sleep in a grave for three days and have sex with the with the apparition, the manifestation of a cor- half corpse, half woman, or half man. It's a female, but usually these are not uh, workings done by females. And he's just basically, you know, got the key to you know, the the devil, basically, to answer the mm-hmm. questions. And I'm saying devil, but two demons uh, are basically under his control if he can finish this rite in this ritual. And part of it, when uh, the sexual encounter happens, then the ejaculate goes into the soil as a gift to the spirits of that place. And immediately, ghouls are born. Lesser demons are born. And they're hungry. So here comes team whatever, ABC, we're brand new. And they're out there doing EVP and, you know, Frank's box or this one or that one. And, you know, they have no idea. Then, right. let's say something follows them home, then everybody's at investigating their house because they've got something. It's that kind of stuff. It's they, You know, it's not following a thought all the way through, uh, either being too skeptical or too gullible or too overreaching, you know, basically Correct. for the stuff that you want. So it it can put you in real physical danger, but spiritual danger as well. Right, because there's also the element of 
you if you don't have an understanding of uh, what is out there or what could be out there, you're not going to know what you're dealing with, and something may seem benign, mm-hmm. but it's really not. Right. It's something and way darker than you're prepared to uh, to deal with. To or deal that you with. have the ability that you have the ability to. I mean, just because we say I don't believe in that, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. <laughs> you know. Right. And right. especially in a field like um, investigating the paranormal, um, you know, you have to at least believe in something. Uh, you see these hard-boiled skeptics. Um, on every show, you know, they don't believe it or, or whatever, you know. Well, then how, if you don't believe it, why are you here investigating? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, something right. had to happen. Right. And then right. you and I were talking about the introduction to the book, and sometimes people don't realize what it was until after the fact, too late. In that instance, involving my mother and, and the witch, Tilly Gandy, um, they were doing demonic uh, evocation with me sitting like one wall over um, and experiencing the actual Unprotected. manifestation. Unprotected yeah. outside the circle and all the sounds and everything um, that I heard later in life when I began to study it, it the actual um, sound of demonic entities manifesting in physical reality. <laughs> so like I told you, right. I'm retroactively pissed off about it all. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, now, God. the house in Kenilworth, uh, you all found that bumper in your yard. Mm-hmm. I, as I said, I haven't finished Risk Incidental. I will. But mm-hmm. did you all ever find out what that was or who was there The when you were talking about the night where you woke up or, or you woke up and mm-hmm. you heard the two men and the woman talking? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the woman turned and got in your face. I had to put the book down and oh. go outside. And I'm not like Brad. I'm not a scary person. Uh, but well, that yeah. that particular, your writing just she brought was that right out in my, She was right in my face, like inches from, I mean, literally into my face. And uh, so it stuck in my memory. Um, you know, we, we had psychics to the house. Of course, because my mom was in all of that. And two different ones indicated that something like a, a murder had taken place or a drowning, but it wasn't that deep. All that area of Kenilworth uh, adjacent to, you know, the levee and Haynes mm-hmm. and Lake Pontchartrain, mm-hmm. that was all swamp. And then right. when we cleared it to build, to build Kenilworth and Lake Forest and all, basically, and my mother would bitch because there wasn't a tree in sight. It was all sand, but mm-hmm. it was really cypress swamps before they came in and created the subdivision. So anything could have happened. Um, there's really barely a spot you can go to in, you know, adjacent to populated areas where something hasn't happened. And it appears Correct. to be, yeah, it appears to be like, you know, we pulled it up out of that side of the lawn. Um, and like if you look at our house, left side, right side. The left side was a beautiful, beautiful grass. Right side, we could never get anything to grow there. And ultimately, we were told by two different psychics that we were built, we had built on something, that someone had lost their life. And when, when I woke up that particular night, I would hear prior to that, I'd hear them arguing. But that particular night, they were arguing about, you know, what to do, basically, with dot, 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 the body, which was filled in by, you know, the psychic that we had come back the second time so something happened right 
a murder, I would think, and maybe they just left the car in the swamp. Uh, but we never really could find that out. And honestly, we had too much other, <laughs> too much other activity going on for me to focus on that. What right? I mean, it's like how, how does this happen? You know, we built it from the ground up. So right, you know. Well, but like you said, everything you know, there was something there before, mm-hmm. and something happened. You know that. I'm sure in Louisiana they found a lot of cars when they were draining swamps. Oh yeah, going Even back, Bayou you know. John. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A few years ago, they were looking for that one girl that went missing, and they were looking all over. And as it turned out, she was in the bottom of Bayou St. John, which is right mm-hmm. in the middle of the city, right by City Park. I know. And, I remember know. that. That yeah. Mm-hmm. That was. Um, that was. Now, and they have you the ever had stuff out? Have you ever had an experience where you've, because I think you've said you you have some ability, Mm -hmm. psychic ability yourself. Have you ever been near where a tragedy like that has occurred and seen somewhere something and been able to maybe help them? Um, Uh, Or is that just not, if that's not what, what it is for you? No, I'm. I don't claim to be psychic, or you know, I'm not a medium. I'm not a trans medium, but I am intuitive, and okay, I can get you know when I get in tune. In other words, with divination or you know, with a place, I sometimes can feel what's going on there. But I could never make a claim uh, like someone who is a medium and actually talking to the spirit. I can feel the atmosphere. I am familiar with the you know what is the result of manifestations of different types but you know the the one experience where I had a real um, psychic connection happened in 2010 at a paranormal convention in Pensacola Um, long story short my daughter was in the Navy at the base and we were going to the convention one night she ran a red light which I don't even know why she didn't see this big old suburban coming. But I watched her get picked up and basically moved out of the way. I don't know how she wasn't hit. Well, watching your daughter almost get, you know, T-boned by something going 60 miles an hour, I mean, all my motion just went out. When I finally got to the location, two things happened. (laughs) The psychic bear picked up on someone who was with me, who turned out to be an uncle that died like two weeks prior to my birth. But I also, I was, I was upstairs with uh, Patrick Burns, and um, it was supposed to be the area that was the jail in a local theater, now converted to a theater in Pensacola. And, and, and whatever it was in that room, I could feel everything they were saying. The guy was hung. He was blamed for a crime he didn't commit. I ended up in tears. Uh-huh. I don't do that. So it did open. it did open up like that, but by and large, it's mainly intuition. And knowledge, um, you know, right. knowing about a thing. So and you can predict people know how bears react if they go hunt them, you know. So I know how demons <laughs> react if they're around. But right. It's like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that, the thing with your daughter, but she was okay. Yeah, she was all right. Okay. Um, okay. Oh, yeah, I mean, I don't know how it, how it didn't happen. She blew through the intersection. I'm like, <gasps> I'm sitting at the red light going, my God. Now, we did have somebody die uh, who was almost like a father to her, but that was in 2007. But I always say, you know, go watch her because she really needs you. <laughs> she really needs mm-hmm. people watching her for the way she drives, et cetera. But, 
I don't know how she got. She didn't wasn't driving fast enough to avoid it. And it should have happened, but it seemed like, you know, like the car was just, like, pushed faster. And she just drove on and met me at the place. I'm like, didn't you uh, see that? She's like, no. And, and I saw it. And then the story about your aunt. Um, oh, aunt, yeah. Who My was aunt in, going to Houston. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was. Oh, you're talking about Joan. Yeah, cousin Joan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Going, I think she yeah. was going to Houston. Yes. And uh, going to see your grandmother, that was, that well, one I was crying. Grandma, <laughs> well, yeah, because um, that was, like I, I say in the book, it was when, um, you know, those little Toyotas and Datsuns and everything weren't weren't like they are today, you know. Right. They were like right. literally the tin cans on wheels. And uh, she just We used to ride in the bed of a pickup truck. Right. I used to ride in a Pinto. You know, 70 miles an hour down the highway. Yeah. I mean, you know, so, but um, this, you know, this was a, truly she, she was uh, the driver. Her friend was taking a ramp too quickly and the car just turned over and right. 300, feet, 300 plus feet of highway and Joan could not get herself out of the, you know, she wouldn't have lived anyway, but it basically scraped her along the highway. Now, my grandmother, my great grandmother, she was a medium. She was a psychic. You know, she really yeah. was, and she was visited by the dead in the family. So when she, when she received a knock on the door early in the morning like that, she knew it had to be bad. <laughs> you know, and right. she already knew all the details. And then at the same time, uh, my co- my cousin's father had the dream of identifying or opening up, you know, the mortuary uh, refrigerator mm-hmm. and having to identify a body. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it runs in the family, but, you know, grandma always, my great grandma always had, a, you know, a story like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, Elaine, I wanted to ask you, I got a, a private message from uh, one of the hosts of a show that we have on this, on talk radio 49 and and mm-hmm. he was asking, now I'm a believer in this stuff, so I believe, but he wanted me to ask you if there was any evidence or what evidence you have to provide, if any, that, or, you know, I don't mean if any, but that this is from him, that your views are, like, real and not just, you know, something, I mean, Lisa, you... I know, I know, I know what he's trying to say, yeah. My reply to him would be the entire um, codex of Western magical tradition and hermeticism, uh, as well as uh, Persian and Arabic sorcery, necromancy, etc. Everything that, you see, the supernatural is pretty consistent, okay? You're going to sit down or you're going to, let's say, you want a demon to come. There's a certain ritual that you follow, and there's a reason for everything that you do, how you prepare yourself, how you prepare the location, the size of the circle, the size of the triangle of manifestation. So this, this, there have been thousands upon thousands of people who have done these things, and consistently throughout the, the records and the accounts, they get the same. It's like if you bake a cake according to the recipe. You don't make any changes, you're going to get the cake. Well, you're also going to find out that if you, when you get in contact with the supernatural, it pretty much is going to react in a way that it has been documented as reacting. They 
or it. The supernatural realm has its own rules and guidelines. And the problem is, the problem comes in when we don't know them or respect, and that's when things go sour. And unfortunately, most of the paranormal teens uh, don't stop to think of that. They don't stop mm-hmm. to think of what's going to happen when I do encounter this. But that's my answer. I mean, there's, there's reams upon reams and thousands of years of magical tradition, occult tradition. Right. And not only that, but um, during the Middle Ages, et cetera, the church. The church, you, wanted, you walked into town in the Middle Ages, you wanted the necromancer, and they point right at the church. Go over there because the lay clerics, the deacons, the priests, they were active in summoning demons, you know, everything from casting spells to, you know, the big guys, also doing exorcisms and everything because they had no Mm -hmm. fear. Their basis, their authority was in Christ. And so they had no fear. And there's reams upon reams of writings from them, you know, that basically support the contentions of other, you know, other practitioners. When I look at that. Go ahead. I was just going to ask you, you know, there, um, a lot of stuff seems to be centered like when you do an investigation uh, that you see on television or in the movies or, or anything, everything is really around a particular time of day, it, it usually 3 o'clock or so. Is that fiction or is that is there a stronger time when – when the the spirits or whatever have a, I, I don't know, a particular, their strongest hour. point, or is this mm-hmm. an hour? Well, you're talking probably referring to the 3 a.m., but actually um, when it gets dark, it's pretty much their, their go, <laughs> you know, when the sun is gone. Um, but in the early hours of the morning, there's that tradition, well, there's a theory, because it isn't the tradition. It's the theory that the 3 a.m. hour being the opposite of the 3 p.m. hour, the glory hour, which is the time that um, that is taught or that our church believes that Christ died on the cross. 3 a.m. is, according to them, the hour when, you know, demons, et cetera, are at work um, and at their highest power. But that's, it is, and it is defaming. It's not, uh, they say, well, you know, uh, evil does that to, you know, mock the Trinity. No, they're doing it to mock, if they're doing it to mock anything, they're doing it to mock Christ's death. And basically it would be the flip-flop of commemorating uh, him being dead. But basically, when, whenever you get along to like 11.30 at night and into the wee hours um, and even into that last hour before dawn, which is, you know, we, we've heard the phrase all our lives, it's darkest before dawn. Well, it is because mm-hmm. the stars are moving, you know, we're rotating away from the stars, but the sun hasn't come up yet. Um, so any hour of the night, it can happen. A lot of people say, oh, it's 3 a.m. Uh, in fact, I was just looking at a bunch of YouTube videos. It's 3 a.m. and it's going to be work. But you know what else? Um, carry that belief with them. Um, and if enough people believe that, right? So you say you have a team of six people and, you know, it's 3 a.m. and they believe something's going to happen. Well, something will happen. 
that's enough right. people agreeing and believing and putting their energy in it that something's going to happen. That's part of the magical process of the suggestion or the belief uh, in voodoo or hoodoo. If you want to scare somebody, you tell them, you know, you're going to die. October 21st at 8.15 p.m., you're going to die. You know, and every time you see the person, you keep telling them, they'll believe it and something's going to happen, whether they drop dead or they just get sick or whatever. Something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Even a skeptic will have that in his lower consciousness working on his mind. So, you know, that's right. that, and that's the process of magic is, you know, projecting that out and what you project out is going to come back. So you have a bunch of people expecting it to, you know, happen to go off at 3 a.m. There it is, you know. And, of course, demons right. only have three fingers, right? <laughs> right. You know, everybody's like, oh, it's three, sca- three scratches. Every illustration I've seen of demons that come from the old grimoires, they have a little bit more than the three fingers. So everybody's expecting it's three fingers, and everybody's putting out there that that's a demonic, you know, entity scratching you. Mm-hmm. And so you got that. You know, you've got that. They don't stop to look at the sources that could to them if right. they, you know, just had the interest. Because a lot of them think they know everything already because <laughs> they watch. Well, let me. What would you, uh, and one of my favorite uh, franchises, uh, horror film franchises uh, growing up, even though, like, I I don't know why I continue to watch them, because it weirds me out, but uh, is the Nightmare on Elm Street series. And I just wanted to ask, what what would, um, because I guess he, may, he can only manifest himself in your dreams, but what he does in your dreams is, reverts to reality so what what type of being would uh someone uh, like freddy krueger be i mean in well if you remember if you remember freddy's story um there was a bunch of parents who killed him right um i believe i'm remembering correctly because he was a child abuser or whatever he was doing so bare bones that entity in, you know, in the supernatural, or in that instance, they may be in the etheric regions close to our reality, um, has a connection to living people, and not only living people, but their guilt about what they did. That's why he's able to get to them. That's why, you know, and this is this would be true of anybody, um, but we're talking Freddy Krueger. That's what it is. He's got a connection in reality, a physical connection to the people and a mental connection even more potent to the people who feel guilty for what they had to do and who did that to him. So he's got vengeance working and they've got guilt and he is able to tap into that in order to manifest in reality. And it's about that. And it happens more than you think. That's great. Don't say that. (laughs) Don't say that. (laughs) No, I mean, like, I, I love, like, that, and, and uh, like, Insidious, it was, a, is, uh, to me, I can, I don't know, because I've never had that experience or, or met anybody that's that's dealt with that, but, uh, you know, when, when we're talking about the dangers of the paranormal and, and that, um, now, it, are you, you were saying earlier that are you in, in physical, like, if you are just walking, like, let's say you're walking down the street, and you pass by a um, a place where something grisly, gruesome happened, or 
it's just haunted and you are you do you have to open yourself up uh in a certain way or can they just just attach themselves to you regardless of whether you've invited them in or you're just happen to be walking down the corner or you well, step into a place there are some people um instances where, for instance, magic has been worked at a certain location, a crossroads, um, for example, or a spot in the cemetery and, you know, or some place that is usually crossed by whoever the victim is. Sometimes they'll, you know, they'll throw a trick out in front of their house and because they know the guy in the house is going to come out, get, get to his car and somebody else walks over it. There's a chance, you know, that you may pick up something, but usually People have asked me this. Well, if these spirits are doing this, why aren't they doing it all the time? Because we're not thinking about that all the time. We have um, all of our, you know, activity going on, our life, what we're thinking about. You know, it's only in the quiet times when we kind of, you know, relax and are vacant. And if you're that type of person that's interested in it, in this, you know, you may be able to pick up something, quote, unquote. But there's literally walking over magical spots. But then there's also um, – you know, the groupthink mentality and in the situation of astral projection, because you mentioned insidious, and obviously the boy was able to astral project. Um, Anytime your body's vacant and you are out, your spirit is exploring or on the astral plane, you're in danger of being, you know, having a walk-in, becoming obsessed by spirits they would take a lot to you know really possess the body but there are spirits that you know that we wait around for something like that to happen uh and to jump in uh for whatever reason you know whatever reason is possible i mean there are some people that ask to project but um you know they don't even know it they think it's all just dreamy and then there are some people who do it deliberately like george lutz that we were talking earlier and, and, you know, it goes with, with the whole meditation thing. Some people do it deliberately. Um, and, but anytime that your shell is vacant, your soul's still there, obviously you're alive, but you're not consciously there present to fight off anything. So your subconscious is keeping you, you know, is what's functioning in your, in your body while your consciousness is aware on another plane. So anything that really wanted to attach to that body could theoretically i mean no and practically speaking too i mean this this happens too all the time with people who you know don't really know the proper way to meditate uh, or are deliberately trying to ask or project and you know screwing it up some somehow or not not having enough experience with it to control all the aspects of it yeah, that's the yeah. whole concept behind it uh, <clears throat> Astro projecting that to me, I like. I don't even. I'm so glad that I haven't even discovered that. Like for real. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but like I, I just watch these people, and then I watch these documentaries on people that they're like not even worried about it. They embrace it and they go after it. I don't. I mean, Lisa, I don't know about you. But I couldn't do it. Like mm-hmm. they would be like, "Well, you got to right. fight for yourself." No, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. Because I don't want to see I, that. I don't. I well tried meditation. I mm-hmm. I had kind of flirted with trying meditation um, many years ago when I was in my twenties, 
but my brain is kind of like a duck, duck, squirrel. And so I could never <laughs> shut my yeah. brain down right. to, you know, to, to really do it properly. And so I said, okay, this isn't for me. And now I'm and glad that know, I didn't. Yeah, it's actually, I mean, in, in the book, um, I touch on it a little bit, just the studies that have been done, um, you know, basically with people who are doing TM and, uh, you know, awaken mm-hmm. in the kundalini energy. Um, people, do, you know, you say meditation, people think there you are in the lotus position, you're meditating. But there's a lot that goes into it. It is a different belief system, and it is essential mm-hmm. to Hinduism, Buddhism. And so it has its <clears throat> all of its parameters. If you're um, meditating and you have a mantra, the mantra is basically a spell. It's putting you in touch with the the vastness of spiritual reality, either, you know, the, the astral, the etheric plane, the astral plane, and the mental plane. Um, mm-hmm. So just in gradations, we're in the lowest form of reality, material reality that, that decomposes, dies, and the whole process. Just above us or just outside of us is the etheric realm, which is the, the, the place of transit for spirits that die. And there's also a place where spirits who don't want to die and are deliberately resisting passing through death, they basically hang out. And in the book, I call it the outlaw country because you never know who is out there. Right. But beyond right. that, you have the astral level. The spirit will ascend through that. If you are meditating and you ascend through these, these levels and you reach the mental level, you are liable there to encounter thoughts as form. And this is where the demonics are able to influence us. They attack us first on a mental level. They find us first mentally. And they get into our deep mind, and that is the way in through all the lower levels into your body or into your life. Um, Because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of it. You know, I mean, the real demons um, are pieces of God that are cast off. It's very difficult you get in touch. There's a lot that goes into all of the great demons, the 72 goetic demons, all of that, okay? But there are other spirits out human that never were human that are human discarnates who are full of hate and anger, and death doesn't improve that. And they're resisting passage through death, so they're desperately trying to stay attached to the, uh, the physical world. They're all out there, too. You know, there's a lot that basically can occur while your mind, your conscious mind is experiencing something else, um, I mean, you're out there with them, basically. And Correct. there's no protection unless you know what you're doing. So uh, there have been, been horror stories. And even in the book, I talk about another aunt who um, was very, very into uh, transcendental meditation. And, and every night or every overnight, like 3.30 in the morning, it would wake her up and say, get on the floor and do the mantra. It was communicating to her like it wanted her to do the mantra then and there. And it showed her terrible things. Um, uh, yeah, I had read that. Right, her mother on fire, et cetera. And, you know, that, that is devilish. That's, that's evil. Right. And it came in through, exper- you know, ignorant exper- experimentation. You know, I would say, like, if you really want to get into meditation, I'd read all the literature I could possibly read, you know, and pros and cons, and then make the decision in form. But back in those days, it was like, hey, you know, sit down, meditate. Right. That was the 70s. Power stories. 
And I think going back to the question about evidence, this is something uh, kind of akin to being Catholic or Protestant or Baptist or Buddhist or whatever. It's not something tangible. It's not, I can't say I'll give you this stone. This is everything that, you know, the Protestant religion stands for is this stone. It's mm-hmm. faith and it's knowledge and study. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and an understanding of it. Uh, and an understanding, saying, and you right. can believe or not believe, but it's not something that's going to be a tangible thing that you can show mm-hmm. and say, "See, this proves." Well, you know, what I've been telling great, you, pe- people doing that, engaging in that, and, and ignorant psychic experimentation, like Ouija boards and playing around with magic at whatever level, whatever mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're, they're pretty much, you know, that's pretty much evidence. That's what's going to happen, that they're going to become, you know, the evidence of what they're working on. Um, right. Know, there's, there's, for instance, though, a crucifix. A lot of people, you know, a skeptic could be given a crucifix and he thinks it, he or she thinks it doesn't do anything. It is an object. It requires a, it requires a faith and belief. And mm-hmm. Now, not not Christ itself, not himself, rather, um, not the Catholic rituals, because, you know, when everything else fails, who are they going to call? <laughs> They're not calling Ghostbusters. They're calling the Catholic Church for a reason, because it seems right. like, and this is a cross all the history that the Roman Catholic Catholic ritual of exorcism is particularly effective when everything else has failed. And it's effective because it is functioning under the authority of Christ, not God. People say, oh, it's God. You know, in, a, in all of the ceremonial magic, the high ritual magic, the types of magic mm-hmm. um, and the Enochian magic that, you know, Crowley worked and Levi and all these others, um, they call on God. They call on Yahweh, uh, Adonai, the whole the whole litur- liturgy or whatever litany. I'm mm-hmm. sorry of names of of God to before they open anything, and then they work with the, the angels, the spirits, you know. Um, but if they were to say Jesus Christ in that ritual, nothing's going to happen because because he's anathema to everything evil. So you know that is one reason why the exorcism works regardless of whether the person believes in it or not, whether they ever had knew what a crucifix stood for. It's because it is evocating, it's in Christ into the situation, and they, it just simply, it's a fail-safe. Nothing can stand against it. So that in itself right. is evidence, you know. Correct. So, Brad? Oh, I'm here. I'm there? here. I'm, yeah, I was. I was going <laughs> to ask. Uh, now, like you were talking about uh, spirits attaching, uh, or they say that spirits attach themselves to certain items, maybe that that were involved in like a tragedy that may have taken their lives or something that they were close to. And I was wondering. Um, I recently. I had visited like the Titanic Museum in in uh, Missouri, mm-hmm. and I was wondering, do you think that you know they had an original life vest that was on the boat? I don't know who it belonged to, but um, 
it was something that they recovered. I do not remember if it was something that they found that belonged to someone that perished or not. But mm-hmm. do you do you believe that that spirits and whatnot could be attached to some of the displays in there? Absolutely, a hundred percent. Because essentially, um, in order to get to the, the displays and to get when they found finally found the Titanic, they they're bringing up basically things from a grave. Um, and the things they don't show you are like the shoes that still have a bone in it and stuff like that. But they are basically um, plundering a grave. I mean, for good intentions, not evil intentions. But everything that is attached to that incident um, basically was, in, you know, impressed, imprinted with the energy of what went on. And then it went to the bottom of an ice cold sea. Um, spirits. Spiritual connections thrive in deep, dark, cold environments. And so even more so on top of just the the general idea of spirits being connected to the place itself or to the, the, what do you call it, the ship itself and the debris, you've got a a situation under under the ocean that is preserving the connection. Um, If it was fast-moving water and it slowed over them for, you know, a hundred years it would have moved everything on but you know it basically came up from a grave you've got a life vest on display whether or not somebody wore it it still came off the ship you know that's why I would I would never want I think they auctioned off some things I don't know I thought it was wine maybe I heard wrong but I was like no <laughs> no I don't want mm-hmm. I'll look at it you know on tv and I'll go to the museum like that and see that stuff but in everything um you know, you can't, it's sort of like the explanation for a residual haunting, too. A residual is where the environment is impacted by energy, usually tragedy, maybe sometimes, you know, extreme joy, um, but usually bad energy impresses itself on the surroundings. And that why, that's why you can come back 100 years later and you experience that feeling of whatever happened, dread or fear. You know, if you're sensitive to it, you're going to feel that. And that's, you know, that's how mediums make a connection. So there is residual attached to that ship and the things that were on it. So, um, so yeah, definitely. They would be there. Because it was a, it was a neat experience over there. And there's, I don't know if you've been or seen it, but there's a, a section where you're standing at a mock, uh, at the captain's helm or whatever, the steering wheel, and you look out. And it's dark, and there's a bunch of lightning. You know, they try to mm-hmm. imitate what it would be like out there. And it was really that was close to the area where they had the the exhibit for the actual lives that were lost. And mm-hmm. it was really interesting and neat because there was a sense, of, a weird feeling that came over. You know, obviously when you walk in there, I've been enamored with the Titanic for a long time, um, mm-hmm. but it was really a weird sensation you know of course being in there you know you already know that that uh, thousands of lives were lost and mm-hmm. probably could have been avoided had they not tried to do it for their own pos- uh, posterity or whatever but mm-hmm. you know it was it was in a sense i didn't see anything but i did sense and feel this uh that you know there was something there and so I was just right. curious about that because mm-hmm. it's, you know, um, it, it's that a lot of the stuff I still don't understand fully. Yeah, it's that sense of it's the weight of um, the weight of history. 
um, that sense of significance, but, you know, you know as a person going there that lives were lost. You know all about the history of it. So naturally that's going to play on your senses and your emotion, but it also thrives on it being the the random items and anything attached thrive on that interest. So at some point you are like meeting the, meeting the mind or the energy of what happened. And, you know, it's, when we go to the D-Day Museum, uh, it's, you know, it's always like very emotional because they have flags and they have, you know, shoes and uniforms that people actually wore and all. And, and it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's sort of like demands that, that you acknowledge it and that you hold it significant. And I'm sure if somebody went in there and tried to steal something or disrespected it in some way, there would be, there would be a response and a reaction. Um, you know, you have to have reverence uh, for and respect for the dead, um, but also for the things that were in their lives as well. Right. Well, if you'll give us just a minute, we're going to take a real quick break for just a second as we're here at the top of the hour. And when we come back, we will be uh, pushing buttons again. When we come back, Lisa, we will talk more with Elaine Pistanio here on Behind the Curtain on Talk Radio 49. Looking for the best deals for your vaping needs and accessories? Then check out the guys at Sub Ohm Vapors. With daily specials on a wide selection of mods and juices, they will surely become your one-stop shop. Ray and the guys at Sub Ohm Vapors, located at 6929 JFK Boulevard, Suite C in North Little Rock, Arkansas, want to see you. Join them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, but more importantly, visit the store or call 501-392-6487. Sub Ohm Vapors. Vape it like you built it. I'm Billy Jack Kane's former World Wrestling Federation wrestler. Today I come with no mask. I come with no hidden voice. I come to you straight face to face because this is reality, man. Don't hide nothing. Thirty years ago, I witnessed the murder of two teenagers on a railroad tracks August 23rd, Alexander, Arkansas. 27 years of that, I was a drug addict on pain pill medication. I become clean. It kept bothering me and bothering me and bothering me. And finally, when Seth Rich was killed July 10th, I knew that was a message to me because that's my birthday, July 10th. So here I am coming forward. This is a plea that I'm going to read here for you today. The plea is for those who has yet to contribute to the GoFundMe dot com Kevin Ives Don Henry murders that happened 30 years ago please contribute to the fund so that the investigator can continue his work he says that they still need to interview possible witnesses and gather more information that will assist him in the investigation of the murder of Kevin Ives and Don Henry also, you can find us on Facebook, 
on Twitter and on Instagram, hashtag Kevin Ive, hashtag Don Henry. here on Behind the Curtain, hour number two, and our guest, Aline Pistanio, uh, renowned author, paranormal researcher, anything, Lisa, she runs the the uh, gamut of, of the paranormal and the occult world, uh, Aline Pistanio is our guest, and we talked, before we bring Aline, Miss Aline back on the show, uh, we've talked about the dangers of the paranormal and, and uh, the spiritual world and how they can and to you know enter your live lives or those of uh, you know people you care for so you know it's nothing to take uh, in, a, in a joking manner for sure uh, I know a lot no. of people want to talk about the Ouija board and you know it's made by Parker Brothers it's the same people that make Monopoly but it's not you're not passing go and getting 200 bucks for sure um, you might pass go but you're going to probably get a lot more than you bargained for. Uh, so our guest tonight, um, you know, talking about the dangers of the supernatural and we're fixing to bring her back on here. So we click that button. I believe. Miss Celine, are you with us still? Yes, I am. Well, we've talked in the first hour about, uh, various things and, and your book risks and incidentals, uh, the dangers of the paranormal, um, before we go on, would you tell people about you're also uh now involved in a uh a pretty popular radio show uh on Friday nights on uh I had the network written yeah, down yeah. and I've lost it. Could you go ahead United and Public tell radio, people where yeah. they can listen to that? Yeah. Um it's uh called the Supernatural Substation and um I created the show but I co host it with Bernadine LeBlanc who is uh, the founder of the Louisiana State Paranormal Research Society, um, and we uh, we have two hours on a Friday night. We we've had some great guests. Um, we also take on issues. We also do uh, you know a recap of uh, of stuff. This last week we talked about assisted suicide and the possibilities of what happens to the spirits of those who help them and of those who uh, choose that you know that way to die. So. Um, but, yeah, it airs every Friday night at 9 Central on the United Public Radio Network. Um, and it's on Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube. You can basically you just search United Public Radio and find it. Um, and I also do a music show, which I really didn't put anything uh, in the bio about. But it's a dark ambient music show that I do at, like, 2 a.m. It comes on 2 a.m. Central Time. It's called Terminus Dark Ambient Radio. Actually, it's been pretty successful, so there's a lot of crazy people out there, <laughs> or at least <laughs> moody people who want to listen to you know spooky mood music at 2 a.m. for three hours. So. <laughs> I might have to check Absolutely. that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, what I wanted to archive each one. Go ahead. Well, what I was going to ask you was, and, and Lisa remembers our conversation um, the last show. Now, this we run this show every two weeks. Uh, mm-hmm give or take um, 
you know, when a guest, when we try to accommodate around the guest schedule, uh, and we'll have an, another show next week with Linda Howell, but uh, we had a, a gentleman on the show, Adrian Scow from the River Valley Paranormal Research uh, Group out of Fort Smith, Arkansas, and he is a he's a Christian, and I had asked him because you know if you if growing up you're taught that you you know that you eventually will die, and based on the decisions you've made and the choices you've made and the way you've lived your lifestyle and whether you've accepted Christ or not that you know, you're you're meeting two faced, depending on what religion you are, and the Catholics I know believe in purgatory, um and such. Yeah. But I wanted to ask you, you know, for someone who's a devout uh Christian and believes in the whole story of heaven or hell or even purgatory for that matter, um, I know there's a lot more leeway in, in the purgatory instances I was explained to one time. But if you believe in, in two alternate methods of where you will end up, uh, where does the supernatural ghost phenomenon fall in, and how would you explain that to someone that goes, well, you know, you're either going to go stand before God and be judged, and then you're going to end up either passing through the gates or you're going to spend an eternity in hell. Where does where would you explain the hmm. the paranormal part of that? Well, I get, yeah, I get that question a lot about that. And, uh, you see, um, God said, and I don't remember in what book, but I think it was, uh, it might have been Mark or Matthew asking Christ about the judgment. And even he, uh, doesn't know when that big final day is going to be, according to Christ, right? But the, God said in his word that he is appointed a day to judge the living and the dead. So the idea of you're dead, you're, you, you are now uh, dead and you're self-aware in spirit that you're going to be standing there, you know, before the throne of God and being judged then, it, it's not what he said. And, you know, so I have to take God in his word, basically, you know, that that's not going to happen. There is going to be a judgment day, but um, in the meantime, we have going through the process of death. We're, we're all physical. This will decay. Um, at the time of death, we are alive not because of our spirit. We're alive because of the, the breath of the soul that is in us, and the life of the whole entire all that is. Uh, that will flee because we don't own that. And there's a lot of confusion between the soul and spirit. The spirit is the person. The spirit is the personality that we know. You know, like I encounter, let's say I know you, Brad, and, you know, I know all of everything about you is what your spirit is. And in a lot of instances, like in vegetative state uh, situations where, you know, life supports them, the spirit has already perhaps, you know, gone on. Now, what happens in the meantime, you will, you know, normally people that die pass on there. They go through the process of death. They're over about three days. They, there's a disconnection to what is, you know, the etheric energy that remains in the body. And, you know, they go, they go on to a, a, their new adventure on the other side. There is a lot of evidence that suggests that the Catholics are right, that there are spirits that are segregated. But, but when they say purgatory, it's like, you know, people like to believe it's a torment and terrible and horrible. And it's not. It's something, though, that the spirit shouldn't remain in. Um, it's a place where more work is needed, you know. 
and you review, the life is reviewed, and you may actually, you know, you will learn, and the soul may have not learned what it needed to learn. The soul will be sent back, possibly. We're all heirs of the resurrection, and I do believe that when we have deja vu, when we have, you know, these experiences, it's the soul that is remembering, you know, that it's been there before. Um, but I think Christ, through his resurrection, he didn't die to save us just from one death. He died to save us from eternal death, which we have none of us have ever experienced. Um, but there's a pretty good, you know, idea of what it is. It's a completely black, cold abyss away from the light of God. And you can't get, you know, any more ruinous than that. So I think we, we are given these opportunities. But the spirits remain in the astral or in the etheric. It's the ones that refuse to go that stay close to the magnetic sphere of the earth and to the auras of human beings. And it could be any reason. You know, they could be addictions. They're addicted to heroin uh, or, you know, drugs or alcohol or whatever it may be. And so they stay attached looking for that vicariousness to live off of other people. Wherever their spirit activity, for example, that, it's going to attract other spirits. And some spirits are out there for eons so that, you know, when we encounter them, uh, they're no different than demons. They're, they're bad for us as if we, you know, we've got Beelzebub on the phone, you know, or he's right there. That, that their evil is, you know, has ruined them. And so mm-hmm. they seek to ruin others just for the sake of ruin. Um, Insofar as research goes, there was a, a Dr. Carl Wickland and a book called 30 Years Among the Dead. And there was another one uh, more modern uh, by Dr. Edith Priori. And uh, they talk about through hypnosis, they, they actually talk to attachments, spirits that are attached to the aura of whoever it is that they're working with. And those spirits give a pretty good account of what's going on with them on the other side. And it's not all pretty and certainly not you're judged, you're in hell. You know, it's it's all evidence seems that it's not that way. And at the very root of that is I've appointed one day to judge the living and the dead. And the day, thankfully, is not here. (laughs) You know, we don't know the day, but it's not each of us on an assembly line. At at least that's what what, what I've come to surmise. That's uh, that was uh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) So if you go though, if you go over there and you're thinking, oh my God, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna be in a fire or whatever, you that now that is something the spirit carries with it, and a lot of people die in fear of that, and they initially that's what they experience, and uh, that goes back to the to believing a thing to the point of making it real. Um, so unfortunately, yeah, there are uh, states or conditions like that, but there are also other family members, uh, higher spirits, angelic spirits, you know, that, that help shepherd the souls of not just us, but animals, everything that is part of the supernal creator. So now when you have a, and we've got coming up, uh, down the line here on the show, we're going to have some, some. I think she's an angelic psychic. I'm 
it's I guess there's varying um, methods to you know being a psychic. I guess it's depending on what you what or who you communicate with. But now you're talking about the dangers of the supernatural and the paranormal. Um, is what do these people that talk to spirits and like the psychics and the angelic psychics, what um, do they have in place or how are they protected or do they know that they're legitimately talking to so-and-so and not something that's uh, manifested itself or acting like a certain individual or, or person? How is there a way that you can tell that or is it just come with experience or how does that work? Um, I think I would say, um, feeling like when I was earlier saying that you, I have an intuitiveness, but you know, not an actual psychicness. I think it's generally the, the, the feeling that you get from what you're communicating with. Now there are some, some mediums and psychics who are all in, they just plow ahead and they believe that every spirit, you know, is a good spirit. In fact, somebody at a convention you know, said that none of these spirits can cause you harm, and he couldn't be more wrong um, than anything. I guess over a period of time, um, they become accustomed to the feeling of the spirit interacting with them. But my caveat to all of them is you don't know really who that is. Um, Prayer and discernment is essential, but spirits lie, um, and they lie often. And they do it for uh, a bazillion reasons, whatever their personal, just to, just to aggravate us or just to possess us or, or, you know, they lie to get in and they're really not a bad spirit, but they just want to be, you know, experiencing physical reality again in any way that they can. People who really have that kind of a gift know intuitively and em- empathically are able to identify um, by the very feeling, the energy coming off of the spirits, but there are so many others. Like <clears throat> one thing that, you know, has really happened with the, this success of these paranormal reality shows, it's like one out of every five teens has an empath or a sensitive or I'm a psychic or, you know, I'm intuitive. Whatever. It's just like as many of it, as many as we have of people claiming to be demonologists and, you know, that's, it's too much. And in a lot of instances, their spirits are just, you know, not what they're cut out to be. They're not what they're thinking that they are. Um, Generally speaking, it's going to be prayer, prayerful meditation and study. And if for some reason it's never around when you're doing that or it's, you know, it will not interact when there's uh, a religious presence or, uh, you know, something like that, then you have to question whether or not that spirit is actually what it's saying it is because, Angels in particular, you mentioned, and they are not the winged creatures that we, you know, that popular uh, art and uh, everything else um, makes them out to be. And you can just go look in the Bible uh, for descriptions of what angels are. Four wings, and, you know, spinning wheels of eyes and a body covered with eyes. Um, you know, that's nothing like he came down on, you know, two wings in a white dress and, you know, so... so you know, golden crowns and saying that they're angels. Yeah, you know, I mean, they, cherubs and all this other stuff. Um, they're powerful beings. Uh, you can get burned up energy-wise just by interacting with them. 
Uh, and if they wanted to do harm, as many of them who are fallen once do, their power is still, their nascent power is still with them. But usually when there's a real angelic experience, it's nothing like the wings and the cherubs and, you know, don't drive faster than your guardian angel can fly. <laughs> but a creature that can blink and be on the other side of, you know, the cosmos in a nanosecond. So um, it's just a matter of working and knowing and not taking anybody's word for it and studying and being in a prayerful state. Um, because if ultimately it should reveal itself if it's false. Okay. I watch Supernatural, so... Um, <laughs> they're, they're, and they portrayed angels as, you know, some very unpleasant mm-hmm. creatures. <laughs> yes. So, and... Well, um, if you remember, Lisa, I mean, the angels, the, the reason the angels fell... Um, and there was more than one fall, but initially it was because they objected to the creation of man and the entrapment right. of spiritual spirits in the decaying body. And then they right. objected to God wanting to put us above the angel, making them the angels, making them serve us, et cetera. Correct. So the first fallout was that. Well, it was actually the very first fallout, uh, according to traditions, is the idea of even coming into this reality and claiming it. And then the next was to create creatures in that reality um, and then say, you know, I'm placing them above you and you serve them. So, you know, I mean, there's a lot of pride and everything, but there was some sense in it too Um, because God came in here, uh, you know, into a ready-made system, basically. I mean, we could get into that another time, but basically he claimed it and and he created inside of it so you know right. so those angels and you know I have to admit I, I was raised Presbyterian but we weren't really church goers and so I attended Bible study sporadically through the years mm-hmm. but it's it's not something that I have a a really good grasp on there are some things I, I remember but then some things that I I had never heard that before. What? Oh, the fall? About uh, about the fall and, you know, the... I mean, I had heard Lucifer falls and Mm -hmm. creates demons. Well, you know, it's been kind of lumped in with Gnosticism and, um, you know, I was just watching a video not too, you know, just a couple of days ago about the books of the Bible and what were excluded from the Bible, the Apocrypha, um, and what was put in uh, to the Bible. And, you know, there are some very valid texts that weren't included in, you know, the Bible itself, but that, you know, you can go to, you can read the church, because it, let's face it, it was the Catholics who put the Bible together. And everybody says, oh, mm-hmm. it's the Catholics, you're reading what they picked out. But some of them, they even said, they're just not um, not in the flow of, what they were trying to communicate, you know, the the connection of the Old Testament to the New, but that there are many valid ones, but there are also just com- completely spurious ones, and you know, uh, so they basically were teaching, you know, that the Word of God flowed through into through the New Testament and into the apostles, um, but there are some valid Enoch, the Book of Enoch, the Book of Jubilees, Jasher, 
um, there are several Tobit uh, that tell other tell some of the stories that we're familiar with in a different way, and some tell all new stories. But if you want to understand right. about the angels, the sons of God that came down and mated with human women, the watchers, if you want to understand about them, you have to look to Enoch because that's basically the entire book is the story of the watchers um, and what happened to them. Mm-hmm. Which, and it kind of parallels Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. In some way, in a lot of ways. In a way, yeah, because um, but there was already, like, in, they have so many gods, you know, in, in Greece or in Rome. Let's take the Roman religious mm-hmm. tradition. There's a god for this and a god for that. And the Egyptians, for goodness sake. I mean, there's a god for everything. But they, the, the ancient mind that was interacting with this, it, it is demonic reality. It's, it is a reality in and of itself that is attached to the physical world that was already here, even in the universe, even in the cosmos. It was already present. And a lot of times, you know, people would go, they would be attached to, let's say, a well or a particular cave or the top of a mountain. And mm-hmm. as people began to interact with these daemonic spirits, which the church ultimately Latinized into demonic spirits. Um, some of them were not so great. They're, they're neither good nor evil. They're there, um, but a lot, a lot of ancient literature was sacrificing to them and leaving them offerings, basically to leave us alone. So you're not you're right. Not, if you start to really conceive of the amount of spirituality or spiritual entities that are in here with us, it would just boggle the mind. Um, Elementals, you know, you've got elementals and demonic reality and demigods, and you know, I mean, it's just, but it's all, it's all coming from that same supernatural source. Even in a way, God's uh, the story of, uh, you know, of the Bible is based on subjective, subjective supernatural reality, you know, the interpretation of it. So, but something was here, and some people wanted to work with that more than they wanted to follow the saints or whatever, and. You know, so what do you, that's right. who the Wiccans are working with. Uh, you know, that's who, uh, I don't know, you know, you get these solitaries out there, pagans, neo-pagans. These are the same uh, spirits that they're interacting with, their goddess and their horn god that have been here, you know, since the primordial times. So right. they're there, and how you react, how you interact with them depend, is um, going to determine how they react to you <laughs> correct what has been what has been some of the most harmful moments that you've witnessed or been involved with uh, with people who have uh, you know ex- done paranormal experimentation uh, mm-hmm. that's the word I can think of without you know the the right background or or grasp on what they were doing. What's um, the most harmful thing that you've that you've witnessed to someone? There, and this is something Bernadine and I talk about when we lecture. Um, there is a, a man that she that contacted her for help, and this isn't like a paranormal team. It's more about the story of this man. And mm-hmm. he basically said to her that uh, he thought he was possessed. 
um, that these entities were in his apartment. And, you know, a good paranormal investigator is not going to take everything at face value. And they're going to take the steps to talk to these people, interview, you know, a, a little bit of a, you kind of have to wear a few different hats to determine was mm-hmm. this person crazy or whatever. Well, as she got involved in it, she actually set up a, um, uh, you know, a, a mini interview. She went there with a couple of friends and, a, you know, EVP, she did the digital recorder and all. And it was really flake, kind of flaky or just kind of, the whole atmosphere was just frightened her. And she, believe me, she does not frighten <laughs> easy, but she was a nervous wreck. And he the guy was just basically laying there still on the sofa and she was asking questions and he would wait and pause a minute and she's like, we got to get out of here. And then he would answer. So mm-hmm. in the, the story of this man was that uh, when he was around 18 years old, he got into black magic uh, to impress a girl, <laughs> which, you know, and they yeah. were, they were doing demonic uh basically black magic and evoking demons. Um, And from that point, his life had been hell, hell on earth. He tried to go uh, to get confirmed at the church. The demons communicated to him in his mind, basically said, if you do this, we'll kill your entire family. And, you know, shortly thereafter, his brother was in a wreck, but the other guy that was in the car with him died. So that was like, you know, we're going to do this. He would go in a church and he could stay in the church, but he would see the demons in the church, which they can go in church. Um, the mm-hmm. only thing they couldn't do is stay there once the transubstantiation happens and Christ was present in the Eucharist. Um, but they would run him out of the church before that. And so Bernadine came home and did, you know, checked the EVPs and all this and called me. And she said, just like you said, she ran out of her house because demon basically was answering the question in those little instances where he was pausing there's he another voice while the demon was telling him what to answer to Bernadine mm-hmm. she, he is the demon first and she like I said she is not the person to scare at this point the last time that she he just he wouldn't accept the help he, he basically bringing her in it was even worse on him but the last time that mm-hmm. you know we had contact with him he was being raped by spirits, succubi and incubi. Uh, his, any books he brought in there, religious books, torn to pieces. They beat up on him. They punch him. And interestingly enough, he was a veteran. Um, no, I'm sorry, he's not. He was, he was allowed to live in veteran housing. I think they couldn't find another, um, another apartment for him or a subsidized apartment. So he lives in this, this uh, basically apartment complex full of, you know, disabled vets and mm-hmm. he's got that de- depressive mindset, et cetera. And the very last time I said, well, look, you know, we, we had talked to um, Father Bob Bailey. We had talked to, we got, a, we even talked to Ralph Sarchi and we were, re- they were ready to help him. But the closer he got to actual help, the more he was being, just brutalized. And the very last time right. she went over to personally talk to him, he would he opened the door half an inch and then, no, I can't do this, and shut it in her face. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, some people will say, oh, he's crazy. Well, if he's crazy, he's, he, okay, we'll say that, but we, whose voice is that on the, uh, 
on the recorder. If he's crazy, he's projecting onto a magnetic tape, I guess, but or digital. Uh, no, uh, the evidence is just you know preponderant. That's right. a scary situation. She sent me the uh, she sent me the you know the actual EVPs, and honestly, I heard a little bit of it, and I was like, I want to listen because it took me a long time to actually work up the. Not the courage, but the desire to, to want to expose myself to that, you know. So that's one of the more frightening. Uh, some of the stuff that went on in my with my mother, um, everything that I lived in my house was frightening, uh, especially for an outsider because I, you know, I experienced it. I didn't understand. But there's one uh, example I give in the book of. Um, my mother was one of the one of the first persons I ever heard of to do EVP, and we had those little cassette recorders, you know, like on the Brady mm-hmm. Bunch, and she recorded on cassette. And you know, one time I came home from school, and she's rushing at me, going, sh- sh- you know, tell me to hush. And I'm like, what? I thought somebody was in the house, you know, like, <laughs> what is going on? Mm-hmm. She had turned off she had turned off everything in the house, and put the dog outside and was recording, basically, right that air. And I remember, I remember it. that. Yeah, you're reading that. Yeah, and at night I remember she'd go and that. she'd listen. And then uh, came the day she had to go uh, back to the old neighborhood to uh, the doctor who did the prosthetics or denture. And uh, she came back. She had left the, the cassette recording. Came back home, and that night when she played it, her entire dental appointment, mm-hmm. everything. From the time she walked in to the time she walked out the door. Well, (laughs) she, that scared her. I mean, because my my, my mama used to tell her, you need to come back to your faith, okay? We're we're Catholics, you know, you need to come back to your faith. Well, it scared her past Catholic all the way to Pat Robertson, (laughs) you know, like born again. (laughs) And I don't, you know, I, I, I don't know any, like, I think that she asked for proof or something, because I don't know of any other reason why, unless it was, uh, you know, basically tormenting her or telling her it's going to show her how strong it is. I don't know that, but I do know Mm -hmm. once she went, once she went born again and was walking around the house with a Bible and everything, it just got real, (laughs) it got real, real quick in there because they didn't like Mm -hmm. that at all. Um, And, you know, um, Ultimately, I think if she had gone back to her Catholic faith, a lot of stuff would have been different that we all experienced. But, um, the you know, the house became basically a living hell. And I do believe uh, that it helped put her in an early grave, you know, because it, it yeah. preyed on her. I was in school. My dad's at work. My brother's already moved out, and she's there all day alone. And, right. you know, it preyed on her, and she was back in the 80s like that. Uh, you know, if you went to see a psychologist or whatever, people thought you're you know, you're nuts. You have to go in a mental institution. It wasn't like it is now, where you can easily you know go to counseling and everything. Right. So, it was still it was but, still you know, a stigma. Having survived right. that house, other stuff has been like you know. I mean, I hate to I hate to say oh yeah, you know, it's just routine, but the things that I lived through have kind of prepared me for anything. And the only other one where, where I was really, I was initially afraid, but then I got really mad. I don't know if you read as far as that, but when uh, somebody sent something to attack me and my daughter, um, the fetch in the room, and uh, it was, it was in her bedroom at this point. Um, 
And I basically had to stand and stare it down and put it out. And I didn't know, you know, I didn't, all I knew was I was angry that it was hurting my child or it was trying to hurt my child. I knew who sent it. I also knew who sent it. And basically I knew the only thing that was going to kick it out was Christ. And in this instance, the blessed mother who actually appeared to my daughter, who is, she is actually, she is actually psychic. She just is not, she does not want to develop those skills, but sometimes it comes out and she had the protection of the Virgin. I basically have to stand, had to stand up and say out of this house. And I told it, I know who sent you go back. And which is a classic example of uh, three times three or whatever. You, everything you say, right. I will come back to you. Well, you know, the home of all lost curses and fetches and everything is back with whoever sent it. But you know, that was pretty hairy. I mean, she was crying, she was clinging to me, and I just basically had to show, you know, face it down and say, get out of my house, um, you know. And I couldn't have done it if I had no faith. Right. And that's something, yeah, that's something that that you do need, mm-hmm. whatever because it may they know be. It. Whatever you need faith it. it, right. That's right. You have um, to have some spiritual foundation. Um, and... You know, a lot of people start out as one faith, and then they either, you know, they backslide or they become lackadaisical or they find a different path along the way. But even practitioners, um, and I'm talking about some, you know, ceremonial practitioners, when things go wrong, uh, obviously they're doing magic, but when things go wrong, it is always best to go to the first, your native faith, whatever faith you were mm-hmm. taught, because it's, and it's a real, it's a really sort of a great definition because that's the first magic that we learn. And it's true, especially in the Catholic sense with you know, our holy calling mm-hmm. and prayers, but it really is prayer itself is the first quote unquote magic and it's efficacy in facing something dark or something, you know, negative that is coming at you is, you know, it's all uh, that you really need to tap into to find, you know, some fortitude and it will help clear your mind. Uh, right. That's, that's basically right. When people come to us and say, or to me and say, you know, the first thing I tell them is whatever prayers you learned as a child, you need to go back to that and then, you know, other things that they can do in their environment. Um, mm-hmm. which is the way I handle it. And uh, as, you know, working with uh, with people that, you know, call us about something going on in their house, whatever, even before I go there, I tell them to do a few natural things, you know, add some things to the environment, pray a little bit. And if it gets better, you know, then we took care of it. If it gets worse, then we know it's something worse. If nothing happens, mm-hmm. then we have to concentrate on the person and the dynamics that are going on with the person and see if we can work it out that way. Um, so, right. I, you know, and I suggest that in any dramatic, any cases that Bernadine calls me where she suspects there's magic involved or, um, you know, or anything like that, Ouija board uh, or something like that. She, you know, we, I, I like to just do it a little slowly, you know, uh, I, I once described it as if I'm your doctor and you come to me and you say, well, you know, this hurts. I'll give you a prescription and we'll see how that makes you feel. If it doesn't work, then we take it a step up. If that don't work, we go see a specialist, <laughs> which it would be right, right. You know, like a priest or, the pract- or another practitioner who can kick it out or whatever. But that's, that's basically my approach to it. 
you're like a paranormal diet diagnostician. <laughs> yeah, in a way. Yeah, um, that's right. <laughs> now, I mean, I can analyze the situation. Like, I know, I know, Brad's listening too. But we had the. Uh, he should ask me the funniest one. The Bernadine called me. and She said, "Look, I got this woman over here, and she starts telling me the story. And the woman was seeing fairies. She was seeing fairies around her house." And she was seeing them outside. But these fairies, <laughs> this is so funny. They were like little biker fairies. They had black leather jackets. And they, and she saw, she was very into that, okay? But she saw the little um, mm-hmm. motorcycles. And then the ones in the house would do stuff like clean up and stuff. And Bernadine says, this has got to be crazy. And I was like, no. I said, no. Does she feel afraid? And she says, well, no. And I said, well, you know, I asked her, are they helping her? Is she? And she said, yeah, it's just she wanted to, you know, have us come out to prove that, you know, she wasn't crazy. And I was like, I think, Bernadine, that we have had our first case of fairy haunting or fairy, fairy uh, you know, encounters going on. I said, uh-huh. there's. And I told her, I said, if she's not being harmed in any way and she's, like, okay with it, let it be because, the last thing you want is to go in there and drive them all off because they'll come and make your life hell. <laughs> right. So I was like, as long as she's okay, she's right. And why did they appear like that? Because she was into that stuff. You know, she liked bikers and the leather and all. That's what they were giving her. So uh, people go, yeah, you must be crazy. But no, it's, that, you know, she was. That is kind of wild. <laughs> it is, but. <laughs> You know, but if it was in the Renaissance, they would see the little things that look like Elizabeth I, and they'd all be wearing that, you know. Um, and that's what aliens are. All this, I, I firmly believe that these these grays and the alien, you know, entities that they're seeing have been here. Remember I said demonic reality and elemental energy, they've been here forever. They're just appearing to us how we, they think we expect them to look. So now we got little gray men and ET. Well, I wanted to. You ask had a question, you, Brad? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask. Uh, I, I I modeled this show after what Art Bell used to do on Coast to Coast AM, and I was listening to um, an older show that he had done, <clears throat> uh, and it had a lady on there that. Uh, had talked about near-death experience. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of went on and was researching on YouTube, looking up other, you know, (laughs) NDEs and whatnot. And I was wondering, you know, from a a dangerous perspective, if you've experienced a, excuse me, a near-death experience and you've actually probably gotten as close to that realm as, as, physically possible while still being able to remain alive at, at the end of it. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you open yourself up more uh, to, to or make yourself more susceptible having experienced that in your opinion, or is it pretty much just, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it, there's no well, difference. Um, I know someone personally who attempted suicide once and then did succeed, but was rescued in time, um, but was for all intents and purposes, they had to do the paddles and, and bring him back. And before uh, that happened, he was the last person that would tell you 
that he believed in psychics or anything, you know, even ghosts and stuff. He had family stories, but he wasn't, you know, in any way interested in that. When he came to, when he came back, he could suddenly, he was suddenly a medium. He was suddenly psychic. He could see people around people, dead people. Now he, you know, he does readings, he helps people, but it was what came back with him. And he had no idea why, no idea why. Um, there are some instances that people experience that. I think it's on a person-by-person basis, honestly. Uh, some people are so scared that, you know, like Lisa, they go, they go all the way back to their religion, you know. And then there are some people who um, who doubted the existence of, a re, you know, a spiritual reality who come back, you know, emboldened and, you know, want to share it with other people. Um, then there are some that, you know, have seen hell. Uh, and seeing what they were in, uh, anticipating throughout their life in seeing, and it scares and frightens them. Um, and then some people have gone and seen that and died later, actually died. Um, so, I mean, I, it's, a, it's a highly personal thing, but I do know that sometimes uh, you get the luck of the draw. And recently we had a guest on our show, and his name escapes me right now, but his he is beginning to look at that light, the you know how they say everybody sees the light and the light, you know the tunnel of light. He is actually suspicious of the the tunnel of light, and uh, you know that I don't. I think I may have thought of that, but he actually put that thought in my mind. Like, what is that? What is it? Um, the goal for us is to get out of this physical reality, but we go into the white light. We come back a lot of times, or we experience, you know, our spirits stay there, but our soul continues to, to experience, you know, the, this decomposing lead reality that we live in. So that, that kind of was, I'm still thinking about that one. Um, but I think it's on an individual basis. Well, I noticed that not all the, all the recounting of, of what has occurred in the near death experiences is is you have a, a lot of them that go along with the tunnel of light, and then uh, the I've heard some that say their loved ones have met with them and mm-hmm. taken them into this. The one that I heard on Coast to Coast the other night was um, uh, she floated around in a tunnel with various doors, and within these various doors there were different aspects, you know. But she never felt afraid. Obviously. I don't know. I mean, once you're there, you're there. You know, you can't really mm-hmm. change that. And I guess it's the unexpected. But I just, I, you know, I, I've heard of like a lot of atheists too have had near-death experiences and have come back and from yeah. or haven't been resuscitated and have changed their whole ideological uh, thought process mm-hmm. as far as yeah. what they believe in and. Um, but, you know, I know we're getting kind of close to the end of the show, so but I wanted to ask you, you know, you, uh, what would be uh, in your, like, if you had, obviously, if you're not, if you're just doing this for fun and games and, and a, like a college get-together, let's have a drink and play with something that we shouldn't be doing, but what are some of the things that you really encourage people, regardless of how interesting it may look or how, you know, fun it may seem to be whether it be in a movie or you know in a book or a Mm -hmm. magazine or a television show what are some of the top things that you encourage people to stay away from 
Um, the very top of that list, right next to um, playing, quote unquote, with magic, with actual, you know, ritual magic, uh, is the Ouija. Ouija board. Um, it has sent people to the mental institution. It's killed people. Um, people, you hear, and I, we were, you talked about it at the beginning of the show. Well, it's a toy, and it's for eight, eight years and up, et cetera. Um, I have my, I have a theory about how, and I think I discussed, I know I discussed this in a book. That, yes, you know, you did. Every, you know, people say, oh well, I've done it, and it doesn't do this, and you know, observing people using it. Um, because like I said, I had one when I was six and it never worked. So I, I hated it. Yeah. I mean, I didn't hate it. I just put it aside. I played with the plastic plantain, but I was like six or seven years old, you know? Uh, and that particular board followed me to the new house. It it was right. seven, seven plus miles away from where we lived. It showed up in an empty house. And that was enough to impact even at my age, how dangerous this board was. But it's dangerous because if you look at it and you picture it's a window with all of the writing on it, you're looking at the top, but there's something that's basically looking at the bottom, let's say, if you want to put it into, you know, visualize that in your head. And the numbers and the letters all have different values. Every le- And this comes from, you know, Jewish uh, gematria where everything has a value. And then you add, you know, you put like, T-H-E, the word for the, that has a different numeric value. And you don't know the value, but the spirits that you're contacting do. And in instances where I've observed it, there's always this kind of working where it starts going all over the place and, you know, nobody knows what it's doing before it begins to answer. So essentially it's like a gated community and somebody knows, the, you know, the door, the key, the, the combination. Combination yeah. to the gate, right? And it's coming to rob you or whatever. That's pretty much, you know, what it is. And you never know who it's going to be. Uh, if you're looking, you know, we're trying to contact Uncle Joe. Well, it's going to call itself Uncle Joe, <laughs> you know, or right. St. Jude. It's going to call itself. It will lie and tell you. So much bad has happened with that particular board and other, you know, like the the table tipping and the, you know, the handmade boards, et cetera, that it's just, you know, it's not worth it. And it's a well-known, right. even back in the 1800s, that it would put people uh, into the institution. Uh, a lot of people were in there because of attachments, but a lot of people were in there by psychic experimentation, uh, and particularly with that and other forms of divination, but particularly that. Um, I, so whenever anybody says Ouija, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I, I have to admit my ex-husband and I bought one. Mm-hmm. But when I could not research and verify mm-hmm. anything that it had told us in the one or two sessions, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, yeah, we're not doing that anymore. Right. Um, and I, I, it, I left it in a box somewhere yeah. in a move, mm-hmm. and <laughs> well, I didn't really ex- dispose of it properly as I read in your book, but it was in a box and I haven't found it anywhere in any place else I've lived. So thank God, because it didn't follow you. I mean, and you have to, you know, you have to get rid of these. My mom broke it up, but you know, since I wrote the book, uh, attached to the Ouija board is the Zozo phenomenon. Um, And I'm sure you've heard of it where there's a spirit called Zozo 
And people, you know, if you look into that and it's connected to the sigil for Jimmy Page, et cetera, but the, it only appears one time, the word Zozo, and it's in the Dictionnaire Inferno, and it's just once in a one-page thing. Uh, he made his sigil, Jimmy Page. But now there's this, there is this burgeoning amount of people who are using the board and encountering the demons. So you remember what I said mm-hmm. about the mindset and putting it out there? Zozo didn't exist in and of itself. But now it is real. It is a demon. And it's been manifested by this attention. Everything that's been poured into it, they have now created in spiritual reality an entity called Zozo. So how that works. Everybody's heard of it. There's books. There's this. There's that. You know, and I'm going, mm-hmm, that's what you did. You brought mm-hmm. it to life, and it took that name, and now you're giving it more power, you know. And the only one laughing is Jimmy Page <laughs> and me because it's like, you know, hey, <laughs> Zozo, Zozo, that's different. But and from what I've heard, <clears throat> these encounters have been terrible. So the Ouija board, stay away from it. Other forms of divination, right. stay. And there, right, and I, I cite a lot of books in my book that you can go to for different opinions about that. And they, you know, that all agree, it's not worth, um, it's not worth using or the danger that it provides. Right, and that's you know, like I said, it was something. I mean, we each had been around them when we were kids, mm-hmm. and it was the yeah. you know the little thing that little teenagers and adolescents did. Um, yeah. But when, like I said, when I could not research and verify, because mm-hmm. we didn't go in looking to contact anyone we knew, right? But when I couldn't verify anything that it had said, but we did always say goodbye. You know, mm-hmm. closed it out when we were done, mm-hmm. and didn't leave it open. So well, it at never, least we like did I something said, right. Seven, my cousin and I, we'd play it, and nothing would happen. Uh, thankfully, yeah. and I even say in the book there was another game that I liked more. It was like the glow in the dark, and then I had a Morticia game. I know it was like a mystical, a mystical Kabbalah. Yeah. Yeah, it was called the Kabbalah, but it had these little, you know, you had to go in a dungeon and get the worms. And stuff. I mean, you know, it was more interactive than this board and this plastic thing. Thank right. You. Right. I mean, my mom, I don't know what she was thinking buying it. Maybe she used it when I was little. I don't even know. But when that thing showed up in the, in, I don't care who doesn't believe me, that thing showed up in that closet. Right. My mother broke it on the mom. Mama said a novena after that because... Things, you know, they just don't do that. Objects don't do that. Well, and your <laughs> your mother's reaction when your grandmother asked her, what, what about this? And she was like, I don't want that thing in my house. She Something must away. have happened with her. Yeah. Well, she put it in the trash herself. And, and she and threw it in the dumpster. Everybody. Your description of her throwing it in the dumpster was. She busted that thing out. <laughs> and she went out there and yelled at my dad. Um, yeah. And looked at my brother like, and they were like. My dad's like, what the hell? And she just busted it up on the on the lawn and threw it in the dumpster, you know. Uh-huh. And I mean, it was just really upsetting. And she never talked to me about it or anything like that. Right. But I knew that I had seen her put it into the trash. And like I said, everybody that was with us was with us to move. And my dad had the only key to an empty house, and the board was waiting for us. Correct. That was frightening. Okay, for me. And she and my I guess she just didn't want to 
scare me or something. She never talked to me about it. She never explained why, how that would happen. I began to figure out things were happening in the house, though. So, you know, eventually, and then ultimately it sent me on not a a quest for knowledge to understand what, you know, what helped put my mother in the grave, what ruined, you know, well, not 100%, but ruined my teenage years and, you know, and caused so much, uh, you know, strife and trouble in my life. So, you know, that's basically the first thing I remember other than little, you know, little ghostly things, but the very first thing that scared me into paying attention. Right. And I could never look away after that. I wouldn't have been able to look away either. Mm-mm. You know, I, I got fine. my interest from my grandmother, but she, mm-hmm. I, I don't believe anything ever happened really, but she had the the quest for knowledge and understanding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and I don't think it you, was. Sometimes you overreach and, right. you know. And then they she just, was a very scary person, so she was very careful. Mm-hmm. We used to turn the electricity in the house off during thunderstorms. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I think, you know, she was very careful about what she read and, and what she talked about and what she yeah. did. Yeah. But, well, you uh, know, electricity is connected to fire, and that's fire mm-hmm. elementals, and it can burn your house down. Um, it's just people would be amazed. I know somebody, you know, texted in, what do I know, you know, and how do I know it? And I thought about it, and I'll say it really quickly. When people come to me, like, you know, I've been at conventions and stuff, you say, I don't believe all that. You know, this isn't true. This isn't true. I give them the name of a little book, and it's called um, Ceremonial Magic and Evocation to Physical Manifestation. It's by a physicist named Joseph Lazisti. Lazuski, <laughs> and he did not believe it, and he got hold of the grimoire that he puts in that book. He did everything according to the according to plan, according to the quote unquote recipe. Let's say, and it worked. And I say, go work that book thing, and then come back and tell me if you don't believe in this anymore. <laughs> you know? Okay. Yeah, do it. A scientist did it, and he proved it. Okay, yes, I'm not going to be doing that. No, <laughs> no um, that book will not be. Uh... <laughs> well, uh, will not be in my library ever. I know it's 9:55 here. Uh, we're about four minutes out, and uh, so I wanted to give you the opportunity to talk about anything you have upcoming or uh, anything. But before you do that, I really again want to appreciate you for taking the time to come on again. Uh, it's always yes, a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, very informative, uh, educational, and entertaining, which is what we strive for. And so, again, I, I appreciate, you know, I appreciate, I appreciate you, for you on. having Absolutely. me. Yeah, right now, our biggest, my biggest outreach is through um, the radio show, Supernatural Substation. Um, and I'd like everybody to tune in too. I don't want to be promote another one on your on your show but on friday nights uh non, non-central on united public radio network um you can buy my books that would help and i'm at aleenpastania.net i'm also working on uh, another a follow-up to both of those books one volume two is going to be called under a creole moon of the fiction well the semi-fiction and the folklore books 
And uh, I think I'm going to revive uh, Supernatural Dangers and add more into it. So um, that's what I'm working on right now. And I'm also working on another a novel, which is based in New Orleans and involves some of the legendary people like Madame LaLaurie and uh, some legendary people that were in my actual family that experienced a lot of the uh, the activities and the iconic events, magical events that are in our history. So, so I'm working on some stuff. Stick with me. <laughs> oh, and again, Colleen, uh, no, I would love to get together with you for coffee sometime. Okay. Yeah. Tell me how. Well, uh, um, just contact me, and I'll tell you what I have going on, and then we can go from there. All right. That would be great. And I, again, I, I encourage Brad. anybody to. I, just, I encourage anyone and everyone uh, that wants to hear more. And, and you guys have uh, some some really neat guests on. I've heard a couple of the shows through YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, so I encourage anybody and everybody. Like I said, we don't. I'm not making a living doing this for sure. So I have no problem right. talking about, it, especially getting people out there to to listen and to to encourage people to. You know, I know this is the infomercial side of everything, but to buy the books, to to read well, them. I mean, yeah, and to I know, done it, but... even if they don't, they, there's real danger out there. There really is. Oh, yeah. It's not, you know, it's not everything you see on TV. Um, it's serious danger uh, that you that can kill people, that can harm people. There is a section in my book about people that, you know, fell or got sick. Uh, going into these environments, a uh, lady died from bat guano and breathing in the fumes. So it's everything. Um, it's, you know, it's a serious, it's not just what you see on TV and a bunch of fun. It puts you in contact with powers that are older, as old as the world uh, in many right. instances. So well, I would approach that with a lot of caution. And if anybody's got questions or anything for me, I'm all over. I'm on Facebook, <laughs> Tumblr, uh, you know, everywhere. They find me and just message me on Facebook if they have a question or a concern. Great. Absolutely. Thank you and so much. Again, we appreciate you, Elaine. We're going to wrap it up here. Uh, mm-hmm. Got a few things to, to talk about. But, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, and I hope I'll come back. Thank you. Absolutely. We appreciate it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Aline Pistanio. She's an acclaimed author. Uh, Anything paranormal, she has got it covered, Lisa. She's like the Home Depot of the paranormal. I know. And I don't say that in in jest. I mean, legit. Like, we've heard her. I'm I'm sitting here reading her bio on the the log screen, and uh, phenomenal. Uh, and, you know, I wish Sean would have stuck around uh, a little bit uh, to listen. Uh, he left. But, you know, that physicist that he was looking for the imperial uh, empirical evidence. Um, been interesting. Go try it out, like she said. But, you know, be careful. Yeah, get that book. Do those do those invocations. I'm not. But, Let's uh, see what happens. But, you know, <laughs> and thinking about that and going back to your show, that you guys did a couple of weeks ago uh, on clear and convincing the OJ Simpson. I mean, imagine what's attached to the Bundy property and the Brentwood estates property, you know, uh, just, wow. 
I can't imagine. You know, I can't imagine well, what was what would be out there. You know, I think though that it kind of would depend, and we didn't. I, I wish we we're gonna have to have Ellen back. Okay, I'm just saying because I would wonder. I think sometimes it, it depends upon what state Nicole Simpson and Ron Goldman were in at the moment of their death and in the intervening time since. You know, they may have stuck yeah, around and seen their where, funerals and then said, I, I can move I on. And, you right. know, her being, being an expert, you know, I am going to, I'm going to, what I want to do is seek out someone on the show. And if you're listening and want to be a guest and you have a story, uh, feel free to email the curtain podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can hit us up on Facebook at behind the curtain talk radio 49, uh, either one of those. Um, you know, but again, we're, it's easy to get a hold of us. Um, and we'd definitely be interested in listening to your story and, potentially looking at booking you as a guest. I know we have a full lineup going into May, uh, but, you know, we have a lot of things going on. One of the the things... And uh, June, I think. uh, Who knows? I'm I'm telling you, (laughs) I have to look at the schedule again. But uh, now go ahead and tell people tomorrow you and Michael are doing... I I know you guys missed Clear and Convincing last week. Uh, Michael was not feeling well. But uh, yeah. go ahead and give people what you're going to be talking about tomorrow uh, evening at 8 o'clock here on Talk Radio 49. We will be – we're going to go ahead and uh, talk about Rodney Reed, which was the show scheduled for last week. Uh, he has been on death row in Texas for 22 years. He was convicted of a murder based upon his DNA – in and on the victim's body. He has been trying to get DNA testing by the state of Texas. He claims that he was innocent, and he claims that he had a consensual relationship with his victim. But in the 22 years since his conviction, he's never really proven that. And now he's also asking the U.S. Supreme Court to review Texas uh, post-conviction DNA testing statute. So we'll be talking about that a little bit. And if anybody is interested in learning more about the case before you guys talk about it, we did a show uh, under our former uh, name on Monday nights. Uh, the, was it the, was either the American Idiots or The Pulse. I can't remember which moniker we did that under, but uh, that was our I, former show. You I can believe... find that at yeah, I think it was on American Idiots. I don't remember. It's been been a while since we've changed the format. I'm kind of glad we did. I'm not big into political talk. But if you are big into political talk, you can join Sean Castleberry and Michael Micah Qualls uh, for a secular progressive uh, bit of uh, news and information and talk. I'm not sure when they used to be on Sundays, but I believe they've changed it. You will have to stay tuned uh, uh, and just look the archives to see when they're going to do it live. But they've done a couple of shows. It's called On the Real. Uh, obviously, we have a big show coming up Saturday night, uh, ASWF Saturday night. Uh, also got a show this Thursday, ASWF Aftermath. 
which is the All-Star Wrestling Federation that myself and a few others associated with the radio are actually involved in uh, from a character standpoint and an actual uh, deal, not just a radio show. But we do that um, clear and convincing on Tuesdays, this show biweekly. But we do have a show next week. Uh, Linda Howe of Haunted Little Rock uh, here in Little Rock, Arkansas. She's going to be talking about the historic hauntings of Curran Hall and and other buildings uh, in the state and uh, that are from the 1800s. So it's going to be interesting, and tomorrow is definitely going to be interesting, uh, the Rodney Reed situation. Uh, definitely, if you want to listen to that before you go back, you can, or before tomorrow night, you can tune in. We actually had several guests on that show involved with Rodney Reed, and it got a little heated at times, but uh, definitely give you some insight on that. Now, you're clear and convincing attacks from a, from a legal standpoint. Uh, Correct. Pure... Stuff from the courts, but well, Lisa, it's been fun and it's uh, always a pleasure to to have our guests on again. We want to thank Aline Pistanio for coming on the show tonight, and uh, yeah. I guess it's time to wrap it up. We've been doing this for about two hours and five minutes now, and so check it out on YouTube and the podcast link on Facebook behind the curtain and all that. So, Lisa, I'm going to go ahead and say that we are done with this episode. Uh, behind Great. the curtain, you've been listening here on Talk Radio 49. Good night, everybody. Thank you.